0: Good afternoon. Uh, <laughs> so uh, like I mentioned before, I will be speaking on the Holy Spirit today. Um, I have four points that I um, would like to make about the Holy Spirit and about his uh, divinity, about what he does, and then just like kind of practical application. So kind to see if there's a better way I can put this. All right. So, um my first scripture passage that we're going to go to is actually just Genesis 1. Um we'll start off in the Old Testament. I have four sections, four passages, and we'll just make our way down. So, let me pull this up real quick. All right. So, uh the title of my sermon as you guys saw was uh The Practical Holy Spirit, but I'm changing that a little bit to um the divine works of the Holy Spirit, just because we're going to be focusing more on what he does, and then we'll get to practical application at the end. Okay, so Genesis 1, um, just Genesis 1, 1 through 2, says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So what this passage tells us is that God created the heavens and the earth, but that the Holy Spirit was there with him uh, when he created the heavens of the earth. Uh, This is uh, very important because as believers, um, most believers hold to the fact that there is a Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are equal in deity, but they have different roles. Um, So uh, obviously God was the creator of the Father. The Son was the sacrifice for our uh, salvation. And then... The Holy Spirit is uh, responsible for convicting us to lead us to salvation and also uh, sanctification afterwards, as well as he uh, plays the role of intercessor um, and many other things that we'll be talking about. So um, that right there, uh, just at the very beginning, the second verse in all of scriptures states that the Holy Spirit was above the face of the earth, above the face of the water, sorry, um, and uh, and that he was there in the beginning with God. Uh, The next passage I'm going to turn to is Psalm 33.6. And the reason I'm turning to Psalm 33.6 is because it uses the same word in Genesis 1-2 as it does in Psalm 33.6. So I'm just going to turn there real quick. This large print Bible is wonderful. I have bad eyesight. So I usually like blow it up on my phone, but this is great. All right, so Psalm 33.6 is... is David speaking uh, about the Lord. And he says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. So the word there uh, in Hebrew is, I don't know how to pronounce this, but like ruwach or ruwach, It's R-U-W-A-C-H. Um, and uh, that's the English spelling. And uh, it's the same word in Psalm 33, 6 as it is in Genesis 1, 2, um, which is interesting. So this could be referring to Um, all the hosts of the heavens were made by the Holy spirit, or it could be saying that it's just the breath of God's mouth, which they're not really sure, but either way, it's the same, the same Hebrew word. So that's the first, um, place. That's the first, uh, reference to the Holy spirit is the second verse in all of scriptures. Um, which is great because as I was saying earlier, it really shows the community and the unity of the Trinity before the foundation of the earth. They worked together to create um, all that we see here today. They worked together um, to create the heavens and the earth. Um, So that being said, uh, let me see, my notes real quick. Yeah, so that being said, like I said, it's one of the greatest displays of the unity of the Trinity before the dawn of time. Um, So that's the first part that the Holy Spirit was a part of, was creation. The second um, piece that the Holy Spirit is majorly involved in We're going to flip over the New Testament, and uh, we're going to go to John 3, uh, starting in verse 1. It's the story of Nicodemus. So um, the second part that the Holy Spirit uh, works in is regeneration. So he convicts us to help lead us to salvation, um, lead us to repent. So in John uh, 3, verse 1, we meet Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee. He's uh, a weird mix of doubting Jesus, but also recognizing that he is a teacher and he understands the law and he understands God because, um, we know that Nicodemus comes in the night and, uh, and decides he needs to talk with Jesus, uh, even though he is a Pharisee. So John three, one through, uh, we'll go through eight says there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say it to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. So this is kind of neat, because you'll notice Jesus says, here the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. Well, if you guys know anything about the word spirit, um, it means breath or wind. And so this is kind of like a play on words that Jesus is using to get his point across that just as you can't see the wind or tell where it comes from or where it's going, you know that it's there. Just as you can't see the Holy Spirit or know where it's going or where it comes from, you know that it's there at the point of regeneration, at the point of salvation. So, um, that being said, uh we know that the Holy Spirit is a major part in conviction. So um, as soon as you are saved, he enters into you. Well, before you are saved, he helps convict you to lead you to salvation. After you are saved, he convicts you whenever you sin in order to get you to repent. That's one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit. Um, as he is a part of God, he knows perfectly when you are sinning, and he knows perfectly what to do in order to properly convict you to lead you to salvation? You just have to listen and obey. Um, so, uh, for me personally, um, I was talking to Maggie uh, the other day about one of my friends who she was saying that the whole uh, all of Christianity is bogus. You know, she believes in like the divine light or something like that. I used to be a Christian, um, and that uh, and that I was brainwashed and just kind of going out my throat um, for a while. And, uh, and then she made the statement that, uh, I have never felt closer to God. I feel so close to God when I'm praying. And I was like, that's interesting because you're not praying to God. Um, but I actually feel the closest to God when I'm sinning, which sounds terrible, (laughs) but I feel God's presence more clearly and acutely and accurately when I am sinning than anything else. And that is because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works immediately to convict us as soon as we have sinful thoughts. Um, And something that's interesting that the Bible talks about is people who have hardened their hearts. People who refuse to um, accept the conviction of the Holy Spirit and refuse to repent. And eventually they harden their hearts to a point of basically numbness towards, uh, towards conviction. Um, which is kind of crazy, um, but a personal experience of mine was my older brother you know he he truly believes he 's saved, um, but if he is saved, he has hardened his heart to a point that he felt no conviction at all and had completely justified sex before marriage. It was his big thing. he had slept with a lot of girls, and his excuse was always the same it 's because I love her. no, if you were loving her properly, you wouldn 't have done that but he, uh, he, he feels no conviction when he sins and still claims to be saved. So either he's hardened his heart to a point of basically unable to hear the Spirit's conviction, or he's not saved. Um, my professor, my biblical counseling professor, he discipled me for a year and a half, was very influential in my faith. At college, uh, always said this, you know, everybody says that you can tell a tree by its fruit you can tell if somebody's saved by whether or not they're bearing the fruits and producing the fruits of the Holy Spirit. We we read from Galatians, which says that the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. A saved person will display those fruits, not accurately, not perfectly, but continuously, and will be continually trying to display those fruits. He he would say that, and you would say, you know, people always say that, but there's a second way you can know if somebody's saved. And that second way is chastisement. Scripture says that the Lord chastises those he loves. And so if you are of the Lord, then you will be chastised. You will be convicted when you sin. Um, if you are not feeling convicted about your sin, then I would highly suggest uh, considering whether or not you are saved because that is an evidence of salvation just as much as um, the fruit of the spirit art, so um, like we said, the fruit of the spirit: love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control um, and so, on our way over, I was asking Maggie to just read over my notes and ask questions and just kind of discuss it with me because I married her because I trust her, um, and she uh, brought up a good point. she said, uh, "Hey, actually, she said, "You can't really enact the fruit of the spirit." Uh, without first seeking out and growing close to the Spirit. So you have to start at the beginning, which is the source. And the source of the fruit of the Spirit, it's called the fruit of the Spirit because it comes from the Spirit, is the Holy Spirit. So how are we supposed to give away what we don't have? You know, Scripture says that we love God because he first loved us. We are incapable of properly loving other people uh, except through the fact that Christ loves us and then we try to imitate that love. Um, it's the same thing with the fruits of the Holy Spirit. How can we give away the fruits of the Spirit? How can we produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control without first receiving them from the Holy Spirit? And without first, and we receive them from the Holy Spirit by praying, by asking, and by remaining faithful after we are saved. So um, the the Lord does not bless those who are actively against Him. <laughs> Why would He? Um, other than to eventually see their downfall, Um, right? So Pharaoh was very blessed for most of his life. And then as soon as God decided that uh, it was time for the people of Israel to leave, uh, Pharaoh was cursed and his heart was hardened. And he hardened his heart before uh, several times. And then eventually the Lord hardened his heart. Uh, The Holy Spirit hardened his heart um, so that he was not able to repent uh, because it was his judgment for his refusal to listen to God in the first place. So um, it's the same thing with the Holy Spirit. We need to draw near to God. He'll draw near to us. We need to seek after the Holy Spirit. We need to study the Holy Spirit. We need to recognize the Holy Spirit as God, as part of the Trinity. And we need to listen to him when he convicts us so that we are able to better produce the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Um, I have some very Pentecostal friends (laughs) Uh, my best man is an avid Pentecostal, but his church refuses to listen to anybody that speaks in tongues unless there's a translator. So they're trying to do it more biblically, and I don't really know how I feel about it, but at least they, they're they trying to hold the scripture with their same beliefs. However, their belief is that you do not receive the Holy Spirit until you speak in tongues. Like Speaking in tongues is the single... Uh, what's it called the single assurance that you have been saved and you cannot do ministry until you have spoken in tongues because they don't believe you've been saved until you've spoken in tongues. And obviously I don't agree with that. Um, but that's what the that's what his specific Pentecostal church believes is that the single assurance of salvation is the speaking in tongues. The Holy spirit has entered you when you've spoken in tongues. But the problem with that is I've never spoken in tongues and uh, I am very assured of my salvation. So I was talking with him and I'm like, Hey, so how can you say that the assurance of salvation is displayed through the speaking in tongues? And I've never spoken in tongues, but you believe me to be saved. And that caught him off guard a little bit. He was like, well, and so I was like, so let me tell you, there are assurances that you are saved and that the Holy spirit has entered into you um, through How you act and through how your mindset changes, how your actions change. So, before I was saved, I was a pathological liar. I grew up trying to be very honest, but my stepmom always told me I was lying even when I was telling the truth. So, I just started lying because, you know, if I was going to be accused of it, might as well. So, I lied about everything. You know, I'd lie about what movie I watched, even if I watched like a cartoon. I'd lie about, you know, Like where I was going, even if I just went for like a walk, like I wasn't doing anything bad. I wasn't like by the world standards. I never did drugs. I never slept around. I never did any of that, but I would lie about everything and anything. And so when I accepted Christ, the first thing that the Holy Spirit convicted me of was you need to be honest. You know, it is not honoring to God ever to lie. Now there's the whole argument. What if it saves a life? Well, then you can ask for forgiveness afterwards, but I still believe it's a sin, which a whole different, you know, topic, but, um, but the thing, because I believe life is more important, but I believe in the sanctity of life under all circumstances, uh, except for capital punishment, which again is a whole nother ball game. Um, but that being said, so the evidence of salvation in my life was an instantaneous joy that I'd never felt before an instantaneous peace that I'd never felt before and uh, a instantaneous conviction about the most prominent sin in my life. Now, granted, as I got older, the Holy Spirit continued to convict me of other sins, you know, but lying was the prominent thing in my life. It was actually part of my identity. Um, I was lying about being saved even. I was lying to myself about being saved. And so um, this conviction came from the Holy Spirit. And then not only that, uh, the Holy Spirit then helped convict me every time I lied after that, you know, because it was a habit that was hard to break. That was evidence for salvation for me. And I never spoke in tongues. Um and he was, you know, he he agreed, you know, he was like, Okay, like I see your point. Uh, and then went right back to the Pentecostal church, which is fine. <laughs> you know, trying to try to sway him a little more reform, but it's okay. Uh he'll get there. Um, all part of the sanctification process. But um that being said, so the Holy Spirit convicts, and that can be an evidence of salvation, that chastisement. The Holy Spirit convicts us to salvation. The Holy Spirit was there as a part of creation, but the Holy Spirit was also Uh, part of inspiration. So if we turn to, uh, let's see. Oh, actually, I've got another one for regeneration, and I think we read it. But Ephesians 2, uh, 1 through 10. Um, I'll flip over there. You guys don't have to. I'll read it real quick. But Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. um, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Um, This is another uh, example of the Holy Spirit and his role in regeneration. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, with which he loved us even when we were dead in transgression, made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus for grace. You have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast for we are created for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I don't know if you guys remember earlier, but uh, when we read that passage in John, we talked about how the Holy Spirit was a gift from God come down after Christ ascended into heaven. He came down as a gift to us. He is the helper. He is the, he is, uh, he intercedes for us. And then he also convicts us and, uh, and then also leads us in truth. So um, it says here that, you know, this, uh, that uh, that this salvation is a gift of God um, not of works lest any man should boast just as the Holy Spirit as we read in John earlier uh, is a gift from the Lord um, so that's the regeneration part um, for inspiration so we have creation Holy Spirit was a part of creation as evidenced in the second verse of Genesis one uh, he was hovering over the face of the waters he was with God he was God um, in uh, in in the well, before creation, but in the process of creation, he was there. Um, then we have regeneration. We talked about Nicodemus. How can I be born again? You must be born of water and of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit must enter into you for you, in order for you to be saved. He enters into the exact moment of salvation, not a half a millisecond after, not a half a millisecond before. He is there. He and, so, he and the act of salvation go hand in hand because he convicts you to lead you to salvation and then... He, he enters into you after salvation in order that you can... Uh, he gives you the strength, basically, to enact what the Lord wills. Um, so, uh, that being said, the, the third thing I have on my list is inspiration. So, we have creation, uh, regeneration, and then inspiration. For inspiration, we're going to turn to 2 Peter one 19 through 19-21. Um, for those of you that know this, uh, 2 Peter talks about how Scripture was written... And the Holy Spirit had a direct hand in helping with the inspiration of the writing of Scripture. So 2 Peter 1, 19 through 21 says this. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts... Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation, for a prophecy will never come by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So, uh, we have a lot of prophets, quote unquote, in our society today. Every single time there's an election, all of these TV prophets come out and tell you exactly who's going to be elected, right? And uh, we know they're all guessing. (laughs) Um, No prophetic word ever will ever come from anything other than the Holy Spirit. Um, And so anybody who claims to be a prophet needs to be able to claim that they are speaking the direct words of God and be able to claim that, uh, that what they're saying has been a special revelation from God. Um, So therefore, any prophet nowadays who is wrong ought to be stoned, which sounds horrible. But according to scripture, prophets who gave false prophecies were stoned because they were not from God. They were directly claiming to have something from God, to have a gift from God without actually. And so that was a, a blaspheme on God. That was a scourge because there were genuine prophets who were giving the word of God. Who were speaking to Israel and Judah about coming destruction, or um, or ca- well, most of the prophets were calling Israelites and uh, to repent. Um, but uh, but yeah, so so if it was a false prophecy, they were to be stoned. Nowadays, you know, if you held that same viewpoint, I guarantee there wouldn't be as many prophets. <laughs> um, but you know, obviously, I, I don't wish anybody to be stoned. Um, I just say that in regards to if you're holding the scriptures uh, standard of prophets, they were held to a higher standard just as pastors are today. Um, uh, Because the people were in the hands of the prophet, just as a congregation is the hands of the pastor and their souls are under his care. Um, So it talks here that uh, all of scripture was not for no prophecy of scripture is any private interpretation because no prophecy will ever come by the will of man. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit inspired Peter. The Holy Spirit inspired James, John. Holy Spirit inspired Paul. Anybody that has written any part of scripture was inspired by the Holy Spirit. This includes the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophets, the Old Testament writers, Moses, um, Uh, you know, Jeremiah, you know, all of them, they were inspired by the Holy Spirit because it says here that, or they were moved by the Holy Spirit, inspired, moved, either one works, because it says that no prophecy ever came by the will of man. So that, I mean, that's pretty clear, none ever. So obviously that's incorporating the Old Testament writers as well, um, the Old Testament prophets. So that's another way we can infer that the Holy Spirit was uh, alive and active in the Old Testament just as much as he was in the New Testament, just played a different role. Um, so, uh, let's see. Yep, and then so my last point, uh, the Holy Spirit convicts sin. So we're going to turn back to John 16. That was the passage we first read. Um, and uh, and we're going to, I've been speaking about it this entire time, but just kind of closing thoughts on on what it means for the Holy Spirit to convict of sin. Um, give you guys a second. So John sixteen four through eight, or four through eighteen, I think. Well, let me see. Sorry, I've got my notes on my phone. Yeah, four through fifteen. That's what we'll read. All right. So actually, I'll just start at the beginning because it's talking about Christ's ascension. He's uh, talking to the uh, disciples that are before him, uh, and he's basically explaining to them that he's leaving. Uh, oh wait. Okay, so this is actually. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't. I didn't get my thing right, my my verses right. So actually, if we go back just a little bit to fifteen. Um, 24 maybe and then to the end it says if I had not done among them the works which no one else did they would not ha- they would have no sin but now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. It says but this happened that the world might be fulfilled which is written in their law they hated me without a cause. Then 26 15-26 says but when the helper comes um, whom I shall send to you from the father the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father he will testify of me and you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And it says, These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service, and that uh, sorry, I lost my place. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me, but these things I have told you that when the time comes you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, before because I go to my father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judge. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you a little while and you will not see me again, a little while and you will see me because I go to the father. Then some of his disciples among themselves said, What is this that he says? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I go to the Father. They said, What is that? He says a little while. We do not know what he is saying. So this is Jesus speaking to his disciples as he's you know, about to ascend. He's, he's letting them know that he's leaving earth. He's letting them know that his ministry on earth is done. But that their ministry on earth is really just starting so they've been following him for the last, you know, 3 years or whatever, everywhere he went following his every command. <laughs> you know, sort of um and uh and and they've been learning from him. And you know, now he's telling them, "Listen, I'm leaving, but I'm sending you a helper who is from the Father. I'm sending you a helper who uh is is one of us essentially." Um and that this helper is going to come to you and convict the world of sin and righteousness and of judgment uh, because he convicts the world of sin and that's how it leads to salvation. That's how we were all saved was by the conviction of sin. Uh, and then of righteousness and of judgment of sin. Um, and then that judgment of sin happens after we are saved. The righteousness happens, you know, when we are saved, we are made right with God. So um, uh, another word for that is the justification. Um and so he happens at that exact moment, enters into you, and then is able to convict and guide you throughout the rest of your walk with the Lord. Um, so, yeah. So basically, um, to now summarize, the four points where that Holy Spirit was there since the beginning of time. He was there during creation, which means he had to have been there before creation. He worked with God the Father and God the Son in order to create the heavens and the earth and the perfect world that started off. Uh, If you go just a little bit further, you know, I guarantee that Adam and Eve were convicted by the Holy Spirit when they sinned. They had not known sin, but as soon as they sinned, they felt immediate guilt and shame. And one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is conviction. So the Holy Spirit convicted Adam and Eve. And then so on and so forth, continuing throughout all the history of mankind. Um, Second, Uh, is regeneration. The Holy Spirit takes a direct part in regeneration by convicting us of sin and of truth, convicting us towards truth um, before we are saved. And that's what leads us to salvation, recognizing that we need God, recognizing that we are sinful creatures, and then repenting. The moment of repentance and salvation, the Holy Spirit then works towards, uh, you know, sanctification and leading and interceding. Um, the third point is the Holy Spirit is a part of inspiration of, of writing scripture. Uh, no man that wrote scripture was writing of his own accord, but rather the Holy Spirit's moving and leading. Um, no prophecy of man ever came from anything other than the moving of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit was directly involved with the prophecy of the, the, the prophets in the Old Testament, the prophet, uh, John the Baptist, and then, uh, uh I'm sure that he and Jesus worked alongside each other in perfect unity when Jesus was prophesying. And then obviously the prophecy of end times to John at the end uh, in Revelation. Um, and then, he, so he wo- he worked uh, with with uh, with the writing of scripture that we still have today in perfect unison with the Father and the Son and with the writers of scripture so that we have the inerrant word of God that we have today. And then last but not least, uh, the Holy Spirit Works directly with conviction of sin, as I have said continuously throughout this. Uh, he convicts us of our sin before we are saved and then convicts us of our sin after we are saved so that he can perfectly convict us in a way that points us back towards Christ um, in uh, in a way that is most glorifying to God. Uh, interesting story. I had a roommate in college, and, um, and he's told me I can share this story, so it's not a... <laughs> not an issue. Um, I woke up at like three in the morning and really had to use the restroom. And I walked in on my roommate and like, he's like, I didn't see anything, you know, but he got startled and I walked back out. And the next morning before his first class at like six o'clock in the morning, he wakes me up and he goes, Caleb, I have to tell you something. I was about to fall into sexual sin. When you walked in the bathroom last night and you walking into the bathroom, the Holy spirit used that to convict me and repent and I was like, oh, sweet. I had no idea. I was like, <laughs> but the Holy Spirit can use even unconventional circumstances like somebody accidentally walking into the bathroom when you're about to commit that type of sin to convict you to repentance. Um, you know, I I I will say that what God used to convict me uh, to repentance uh, to salvation was a youth pastor telling me I knew the words to a song that we were singing, but I had no idea what it meant. Uh, because I just went through all the motions. You know, I grew up in a very fake Christian home, so I was a very fake Christian, and I knew all the words to all the songs, but he came up to me, and he was just bawling his eyes out, just out of the blue After uh, during a mission trip to San Francisco. Uh, we were in a basement of a youth with a mission base in the Tenderloin District, and he just came up to me after we were done and just bawling his eyes out. I was like, Steven, are you okay? He's like, I have to talk to you about something. He's like, I was watching you while we were singing, and I could tell you knew the words, but you have no idea what you're singing about. And the Holy Spirit used that interaction to convict me, to make me realize, you know, I wasn't saved. I had been faking it, which I kind of gathered because I really didn't have any sort of peace. Like, I knew that people had peace, and I just kind of faked that I had peace. I don't know how to explain that other than that. But, but yeah, so that led me to repenting that night and realizing, like, God, I am not who I say that I am in any way, shape, or form, changed me. And God did. Praise Him for it. I mean, He instantaneously... Um, uh, on top of that, uh, he used the uh, my dad getting saved to convict me to to my salvation. Uh, my dad was a very abusive, very angry man for my first 13 years of life. Then he accepted Christ, and it was an immediate change in his life as well. And just seeing that helped convict me. So the Holy Spirit uses all sorts of ways to convict us. Um, and then he also guides us. He helps us in our decision making. He gives us the words to speak when we don't know how to pray. Um, and He is God, and we need to remember that He is God, um, because although we don't pray to Him because He is not our intermediator, um, uh, Christ is the perfect mediator for us. Uh, he is still God, and He is still part of God, and He still has a role in our everything from our salvation to our conviction uh, and sanctification. So um, that's all that I have. I will Uh, Pray, and then um, we'll move forward from there. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, um, thank you once again for allowing us to come here. I pray that uh, you used your Holy Spirit in me to uh, say what you wanted me to say um, so that uh, each person here um, heard what you wanted them to hear. Lord, I pray that as we continue about our weeks, that we just recognize that we need to grow closer to you, closer to your Son, and closer to the Holy Spirit in order for us to be able to have a better relationship with you, but also be able to better display the fruits of the Spirit. Lord, if we are saved, then we have the Holy Spirit. And if we have the Holy Spirit, then we ought to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Lord, so I pray that as we walk uh, about amongst our peers, amongst you know random strangers, that we display you in such a way that it's obvious and that they have no doubt that this person is a believer based on the way that we act. I believe character testimony is a powerful thing because it shows uh, how and what our convictions are based on how we walk with you, Lord. I also pray that uh, you continue to chastise us. Um, Scripture says that you chastise those that you love, Lord. And um, as long as you are chastising us, uh, not punishing, but chastising and disciplining us, we will continue to grow closer to you and continue to hate our sin more, Lord willing. I pray that uh, as we go about life, that we remember these things um, and that we have the discipline and the uh, desire to grow closer to you until the day of glorification in your son's name. Amen.